Good morning again, and welcome back to our sermon series called Crash the Chatterbox. Have you been enjoying this series any at all? Amen. 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 So, so for the last few weeks, we've been dealing with this subject called Crash the Chatterbox, basically uh, trying to overcome the lies of the enemy. Um, uh, the chatterbox is going on over and over in our head, the repetitious lies that he keeps putting into our minds and trying to overcome that with uh, the voice of God through his word. And so for the last few weeks, we, we have dealt with insecurity. We, we dealt with uh, uh, how the lies of insecurity about who we are, who God has made us to be, um, can be overcome by the fact that God says, I am, that he is our great I am. And then uh, last week we talked about uh, fear. We talked about the lies of fear, how fear comes into our lives and tries to paralyze us. And we overcome that what God says he will. And so this week we're going to deal with the aspect of condemnation. And, and to kind of put it in, in our terms today, uh, shame, shame, feeling shame, not guilt necessarily. Uh, guilt is one thing, but really feeling condemned and shameful. And we want to overcome that lie with the promise that God says he has. Have you ever told someone that you would stand by their side, that you would be willing to go to battle for them? You put it all on the line, whatever they needed, you were passionate about it. You, you felt in your heart and your spirit that you were going to be right there with them. That you had the, the victory, or you already had it planned out in your mind that by their side that you would, you would gain the victory. You're, you're, you feel the, the anxiety, uh, or rather the adrenaline and the energy, you're excited, you're loving it, you're passionate about it, and now it's time to go into battle, and then something strange happens. You start to step forward, but for some reason, you can't move. You're supposed to be in the battle, but yet you're standing on the sideline. All that energy, all that adrenaline, all that excitement is now turned to anxiety, and you suddenly feel weak. The person that you were supposed to be there supporting, now you left them hanging all by themselves. And for instance, this is really what we want to deal with today. And, and there's a story in the Bible in Luke chapter 22 that, that really deals with this, this situation that we just described. It's a very familiar scripture, kind of it piggybacks off of what we talked about in our communion in Luke chapter 22. For this night, Jesus, as we talked about, was with his disciples. His last night before he was getting ready to be taken um, and be crucified for all of our sins. And this is his last meal. We talked about that as we sat around the table. He's already broken the bread. They've already drank the cup. And then something happens here, beginning in verse number 31. It says that Jesus turns his attention to Simon Peter. Now, we know Simon, the rock, right? He was the perpetual one. He was the one that was always going to, you know, run and defend Jesus, and, and, and Simon, uh, is, is, this is God's, uh, Christ's response to Simon because Jesus had just told him that he was going to die. And Simon was like, no, I'm going to fight with you. I'm going to be by your side. I'm going to do whatever you need. I'm going to be there. And this is what Jesus says to him. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demands to have you that he might shift you like wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. 
Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you. There it is. I'm ready to go to prison. I'm even ready to die with you. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you have denied me three times. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bags and knapsacks and sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. So we see here, can't you feel the drama that's building up? That, that, that Peter just tells Jesus, Jesus, I'm willing to die for you. I'm willing to go to bat for you. I'm willing to go to prison. I'm willing to be beaten for you. And, and, and Jesus tells Peter, hold up. Hold up. Don't get too excited because that's not how the story is going to end. And so then we see later on, we see moving down to verse 54. We see now after Jesus has been arrested, this is where we find Peter. Then it says in verse 54, Then they seized him, him being Jesus, and they led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. The same Peter who said, I'm going to be right by your side. I'm going to go to bat for you. I'm going to, I'm going to, be, I'm going to go to jail. I'm going to die with you. And he's in a distance. Verse 55 says, And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking close at him, said, This man also was with him. But he, being Peter, denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him, being Peter, and said, You are one of those disciples. You are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man right here also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And at that time, the Lord Jesus turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crowed today. You will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Friends, when Jesus was arrested, there was Peter. Not by his side, not in the fight with him. But the Bible says that he was following at a distance. He didn't want to get close to Christ. He, he, he didn't want anybody to recognize who he was. He, he wanted to just stay close enough, but not too close to be seen. One, one person called it a guilty distance. Mm -hmm. you, you know, you, you feel guilty, you know, when you said you were going to do something, but you didn't quite do it, and you feel guilty, so you're not actually doing what you're supposed to do, but, but you're kind of there. It's, it's a guilty distance. And instead of trying to fight, he stands in the background hoping to blend in with the other people. Friends, this brings me to my first point, and that is that sometimes we have a knack for following at a distance. As we consider Peter in this situation, I wonder how many of us as Christians have been following Christ at a distance. Maybe, maybe we're, we're even at the church here today, and, and, and that's great. That's, that's great that we're, we're here in church, but where, where does it end? You, you might be a good person. And, and the voices will tell you that. They'll tell you, you're a good person. You, you, you're, you're good. They'll tell you that you don't have to give 10% like God says. I mean, how many people really do? You, you do enough. I mean, aren't, aren't you here today? Don't you, didn't you help your neighbor last week? Look around. 
If others aren't doing it, why should you? See, friends, the enemy wants us to do nothing and to feel guilty about doing nothing. He, he wants us to follow at a distance and then feel guilty about following at a distance. He wants us to, to, to know uh, that, that we've made a commitment to God, but at the same time feel guilty and helpless and hopeless about what that commitment was. Friends, you know this. Your body can be in church, but your heart can be far away from God. Your, your lips can say the right things, but your heart can be far away from God. You can sing the right songs and know all the lyrics, but your heart can still be far from God. Question, have you ever been in Peter's shoes? Peter told Jesus yes, but Jesus told Peter no. And when it came to crunch time, he failed the test. Peter, who was usually the reckless one, the bold one, the one who would not be ashamed, the one who would always be willing to fight and stand up, is now standing in the distance. And, and look at this. When the rooster crowed, he was just close enough to see Jesus. And then Jesus heard the rooster, and he looked at Peter. And at that moment, Peter knew what? He knew that he had let his Savior down. But look at this. Peter wept bitterly because he was not convinced he was a failure. He was convinced that he was a failure. He was convinced that he had let Christ down. He was convinced that, that he had done wrong. And so he felt shameful. He felt condemned. But friends, there is a, there's a huge difference between being guilty and being shameful. There's a difference between feeling guilty and feeling shame. Guilt is something you did. When you've done something wrong, you feel guilty. You feel guilty. It, it's focused on your behavior. It's focused on your actions. It's focused on what you have done. It's a feeling of responsibility and remorse for the wrongdoing. But look at this. Shame is focused on ourselves. Shame is saying that it's something that I believe that I am. See the difference? When I've, when I've done wrong, and I know that I've done wrong, I feel guilty because I know what I did. It's about what I did, not who I am. But the devil wants us to feel shameful. He wants us not just to feel guilty about what we have done, but he wants us to believe that because we did this, that, 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 we're, that we're something, that there's something wrong with us, that, that God is, is down on us. All right, so, so the, enemy, the enemy comes in and he wants us to feel shameful about what we've done. He wants us to feel like that, that what we've done is, is not just a mistake or an accident, but it's about who we are. He wants us to feel like that, that we're not good enough, that, we're, that we're, there's something wrong with us, that God's not going to love us, that God's going to turn his back. But Jesus didn't say that to Peter, right? Jesus just told Peter, this is what you're going to do, Peter. I don't love you less. I don't, I don't hate you for it. But I know that when the situation comes, this is what's going to take place. And so, and so we see here that, that the enemy wants to convince us that what we've done is wrong and hold us shameless. Now think about this. In, in Genesis 3 and 10, we have the, the story of Adam and Eve, right? And, and we know that, that Adam and Eve committed sin. The devil had convinced them that, that what God had told them wasn't the truth, and so they committed sin. But look at verse three and ver chapter 3, verse 10. What it says to us is that once they had committed sin, their eyes was open, and then what happened? They realized their situation. 
And they were shameful. Not because of what they had done, but because they recognized that Satan was now trying to speak lies into their heads to make them feel shameful about what they had done. And so we see here that when, when God came down to visit them like he normally does, the Bible says that they were hiding. And when God asked the question, he said, why are you hiding? He said, we were hiding because we were naked and we were ashamed. Let me give you, let me give you what I believe is one of the main and possibly, I think, is the main role of Satan. We all know that Satan is a tempter. We all know that Satan is a liar. We all know that. But I believe one of the main roles of Satan is to be that of the accuser, to be that of the slanderer. His name, by the definition, means slanderer or accuser. He basically sits in heaven and comes before God to accuse us of everything that we've done wrong. Now think about this in, in, a, in a courtroom setting, that you have the defense attorney and you have the prosecuting attorney. And you have the one who is accusing the person of the crime and the one who is defending the person that's being accused. Satan is the prosecutor. He, all he wants to do is take all the things you've done wrong and say, God, see, see, I told you, I told you, they're not good enough. They're not good enough. They break your commandments every day. They, they don't follow what you're telling them to do. But the Bible lets us know that Jesus stands to be our defender. That, that, that he stands and says, he stands and says, yes, you, you, they might have sinned, but guess what? I died to cover their sins. That, that, that I died so that they could be freed from their sins. Friends, God wants us to learn how to have victory over our enemy. And Satan can make us feel ashamed, but we sadly accept the shame in our lives. It's again, it goes back to the lies. We don't have to accept the lies of shame in our lives. That, that, that we might have made mistakes and we might have done things wrong. But guess what? God has given us the opportunity to get it right. All right, all right. Jesus tells his disciples in John 14 and 26, he says this, that he will send us the Holy Spirit to be with us and that the Spirit of God would be our advocate, that he would dwell with us and that he would bring to remembrance all the things that he had taught us. Right. And so the Spirit who is on the inside of us stands to be that comforter, stands to be the one to remind us, no matter what you've gone through, no matter what you've done, God still loves you. But it brings me to my second point, that is the soundtrack of shame. There's a soundtrack of shame that goes in, in, in our minds. That, that, that if you ever notice that if you're listening to music and some of us like that certain song and we keep hitting play over again, you know, we, we put it on that loop. You know, we, we keep playing it because that's just my jam. I, that's my song. I want to hear it again and again and again. But this is what Satan does in our minds, that, that he fills our minds with that shame and he just plays it over and over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. He says to us, I, I've had, and, and friends, I can give you an example of this in my own life, that most of you may know, might not know, that sometimes I can have an anger issue. Now, nobody say amen. Don't call me out. All right, all right. Sometimes you probably hadn't seen it, but sometimes I can have an, an anger issue. And sometimes I let stuff build up in me so much so that I just, you know, blow up, that I can explode. I can have a meltdown, throw my fair share of temper tantrums, all of that. And, and, and the bad thing about it is, is that when I have these episodes, you know, in my mind, I know, why am I doing this? You know, I just chill out. It's not that bad. But there's something inside of me that just says, I just want to get mad. 
You know, that people are not going to recognize until I get mad. You know, now they're going to hear me roar. You know, you got to roar. And so, and so I do that. It, 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 this happened, uh, I think, a couple weeks ago. I just bought a new truck, and, and I wasn't paying attention necessarily to what I was doing. I was trying to navigate how to get the truck in the garage and all that stuff because it's a lot bigger um, than the vehicle that I had before. And so I wasn't paying attention, and I kind of ran and kind of hit the side part of the garage. And I got out, and I saw paint on the side of the truck, and I was like, ah! You know, and then again, that anger just sparked up. And before I know it, there was this... this um, this, this desk is still boxed up. It's a heavy desk. It's never been put together. And, and so I, I guess in that moment, I had to express my anger. You know, it's like it's just not enough to just, you know, say something. I've got to visibly do something. And so I decided I'm going to go over here and kick this box. Now, subconsciously in my mind, I knew that, man, this box is heavy and it's hard. So I knew that I didn't want to just come up and just rear into it because I know that that's going to hurt. So, I, you know, I, I strategically approached it and I kicked it just as well as I could not to hurt myself too much. But I had to do it. I had to let this anger out. And so I kicked the box. Again, I still hurt my foot. I still hurt my foot. And then at that moment... After I felt the pain, then I realized, okay, this is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And then I started the process of actually trying to figure out a solution for my truck. And then come to find out, all I just had to do was just get a towel, wet it off, and wipe the paint off. There was no damage there. I did all of that. All of that anger, all of that bravado, all that kicking, hurting my foot. And that was on a Saturday. And then I had to come limping to church the next day. All of that just because of my anger. Mm -hmm. Now, friends, in that moment, and there have been moments when I have flown off the handle and, and the accuser came into my mind and said, there you go again. There you go again. Mm -hmm. Why can't you stop? Why, why, why do you always let this happen? Mm -hmm. Something wrong with you. Why do you get mad? You know, people are gonna, people going to know that about you and people are not going to like you. I don't want to be around you. You're stupid. You're an idiot. Why, 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 why? And that soundtrack of shame starts going over and over in my mind. And friends, I don't know what your life is like. But I do know that we all have junk and we all have issues that lead us to shame. We all have things that we have dealt with and mistakes that we have made. For some, it could be drugs. Some, it might be alcohol. Some, it might be sex, pornography, stealing. It could be a whole lot of things. We all have those things in our lives that the devil uses to make us feel shameful. But whatever your thing is, the result is over time, our actions trans transition to shame in our lives. That if, if we're not careful, that over time, that we will that our actions will transition to shame. That the devil will use those actions and instead of focusing on the behavior, he will make us feel like we're not good enough. And at that very same time of our self-condemnation, friends, I want you to know this, that God has sent his advocate to help us. To not only help us, but sometimes to convict us. And conviction is okay. We don't like to be convicted, right? You know, we don't like to be told about ourselves. But, but, but conviction is okay because it's God's way of telling us, hey, that's just not right. I want you to do better. 
And the conviction is just saying to us, there's something inside of us when we have the spirit of God that tells us, hey, you know what? Life could be better for me if I, if I just wouldn't go down this road. I, I need help avoiding this. I need strength in this area. God, help me. The advocate is simply just trying to encourage us and help us work through our issues. Get that work through our issues. Because guess what? We're going to have issues. I, I mean, hate to break it to you, but you're going to have issues. You, you, if you don't have one today, you'll have one tomorrow. We just, we all have issues. And we're going to have issues. But the Spirit of God is there to help us through those issues. And he has given us a perfect plan on how to do that. The Bible lets us know that, that God says in 1 John that he is faithful to forgive us of every one of our sins. And not only is he faithful to forgive us, but the Bible also says that he will throw them into the sea of forgetfulness. Meaning that when God forgives, he forgets. He doesn't, he doesn't throw it back up in our face. He, he doesn't remind us, you remember when you did that? You remember when you kicked that box the last time? And there you go again. He doesn't do that to us. He forgets. But yet, the devil is there. The chatterbox is there. Constantly trying to remind us. And God is saying, I just want you to let go and move on. If we would stop focusing so much time on what we've done and focus more time on what we could be doing, our lives would be better. We, we, we focus so much on the mistake I made yesterday, and we get paralyzed by that. And then, and then not only do we miss today, but we miss tomorrow, and then we miss next week. And there were so many things that God had lined up for us that we completely missed out because we were stuck in what happened on yesterday. Friends, the last point is the three P's of shame. I want you to hear this. The three P's of shame. Three P's of shame. Christian psychologist Henry Cloud, uh, he spoke about shame and what it can do to us. And he came across these things that he called the three P's of shame. He wrote, negative thinking is always personal, permanent, and pervasive. Personal, permanent, and pervasive, meaning it spreads to every area of your life. That shame doesn't say you made a bad decision. Shame says you made a horrible decision. Get that. We made some bad decisions, but shame will come in and take that and elevate it to a whole nother level and say you made a horrible decision and your life is over. Shame says you not only lost your temper, but shame will say you're just completely out of control. PV, you are out of control. You need therapy for this. That's what shame will say. Shame takes what you did and makes it into who you are and it makes it personal. It makes it personal. Now our identity has been wrapped up in that thing that we've done. My identity has been wrapped up in anger. So I define myself as that, right? I tell people, oh, I have an anger issue or, or I, I'm just an angry person. How many, think about some of the ways that we describe ourselves. How, how often do we describe ourselves in positive ways? You know, when people ask ask for a description of you, you know, sometimes we'll we'll paint a we'll paint a rosy picture, but in our minds, what do, what's the picture that we usually paint? 
We don't ever say, man, I'm a great person. I'm a good person. I'm a loving person. I'm kind. You know, I do, I do great things for other people. I love my family. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm a good Christian. Not the best Christian, but I'm trying to do my very best. In our minds, we generally don't talk to ourselves that way, right? We, we might start off that way, but have you ever, have you ever had that conversation when you start uh, saying the things in your mind that are good about, and then all of a sudden that one negative thing, and you're like, where, where'd that come from? I'm a good person, I'm kind, but I'm angry. What? Where'd that come from? You know, and, and then he starts to drop those things into our mind, and before we know it, now we've gone into all the negative things. I'm angry, you know, I have this issue, I have that issue, people don't like me, um, you know, uh, I don't have many friends, and it's probably because I have this issue and that issue. That's, that's how our mind works. Then, before we know it, now we have started to describe and define ourselves by our shame, and it live, that's right, and start living. That's the cycle of shame in our lives, that, that, the, that, that the devil wants to, to make us think these things so that we can start living them out We make it personal. The second one is we make it permanent. It's permanent as well because we often associate our problems as I always do this. Friends, be careful of the words always and never. Probably be good not to ever use those words. Because most of the time when you say always and never, is never always and is always never. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? I never do that. There's some things I said, oh, I would never do that. I don't, have to, I don't even have to fill the blank in on that. Oh, I always do this. You know, always and never. And so, but this is what he does. He makes it permanent because he associates our problems as I always do this. Every time, that's what the devil, going back to my example, by angry. Every time I find myself in a situation like this, I always get angry. Now, come on. I don't always do that. But that's what the devil wants me to believe. That's the shame. He wants you to feel like that not only is it is who you are, but that you can't control it. That 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 you, it is always every time you're in a situation like that, that's what you're gonna do, and, and and we know the results of that, right? If that's who I am, and I always do it, well, heck, forget it. I might as well just keep doing it. You know, I've had discussions with people like that that have had issues with addictions of whatever level, all levels. And, and it does get to a point that they're just like, well, this is just who I am. This is what I always do. So I can't stop it. So, hey, I just keep doing it. How many of us do that in our lives? That thing that we're battling with, the devil has beat us down in shame so much that made us feel like that that's who we are and that's all that we are. It's the only option. Friends, I'm here to tell you that there is another option. There, there is another option. Those are all just lies of Satan, wanting to believe that your life is not worth what God says it is. God is saying that you are wonderfully and, and, and fearfully made. We're going to talk about that on Mother's Day. But you are wonderfully and fearfully made. No matter what you have done, God says you are wonderful. I made you. You're fearfully made. You are worthy because of what my son Christ Jesus did on Calvary. The last one it says it's pervasive. It spreads every area of our lives. We picture ourselves as failures. Now, you may say it, it doesn't stick, 
But deep down, you know it does, because if the familiar mantra every time something bad happens and we end up with that woe is my woe, woe is my attitude. The thought that if something bad is going to happen, it's going to happen to me. You know people like that. Amen. There's some if it's anything's gonna go wrong, it's gonna go wrong for me. Yep, every time you see a cop, oh, he gonna get me. And then, woo, uh, yeah, you just spoke it. You probably sped up when he when you said that. Right, but, the, but, but don't we live like that? If, it, if, if, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen to me. If there's a chance that this promotion could possibly get messed up for anybody, it's going to get messed up for me. That's what, that's, what, that's what it does, and it permeates. It spreads into every area of our lives. And so before we know it, shame has become personal. Now we've made it permanent in it being always, and now it's in every aspect of our lives. It's not just that I'm shameful about being angry and the fact that that's who I am and I can't control it, but now, you know what, I can't control anything in my life. And then, and then, and the next time something happens, you know what? There's gonna be there's gonna be something else like that that's gonna cause me to be angry because it's just how my life is. And just at that moment, friends, we have to think just like Peter. That's the rooster crowing moment of our lives. The rooster crowing moment of our lives when we have to see at the third time that Peter denied Jesus, and he realized what he had done. And he looks Jesus face to face, and he remembers what Jesus said, and he wept. Friends, I want you to know this. When Jesus looked at Peter, he was not looking at Peter with eyes of condemnation. He was not looking at Peter in eyes of, of shame or, or guilt or, 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 you know, I told you so. But he was looking at him through eyes of love. He wanted him to know, Peter, it's okay. I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were going to be here. It's okay. Because see, think about what Jesus told Peter. He said, Peter, you're going to make this mistake. But this mistake that you make is going to strengthen you so that you will be able to strengthen the brothers. Mm-hmm. See, Peter, didn't, he, he forgot about the last part of that, that, that scripture, that promise that Jesus made. You're going to mess up. But this mess up is going to build you up so that you can lead the movement that I have set for you to lead. And friends, sometimes we have to understand that our mess-ups, okay, that's, that's fine, that's fine, but our mess-ups are simply just set-ups for us to do what God has called us to do. But as long as we allow the devil to make us feel shameful and to condemn ourselves about what we've done and the mistakes that we've made, we are limiting our ability to live the life that God's called us to live. So we have to combat the shame with the promise that God says he has. He has what? He has made me worthy. He has made me righteous. He's paid the price for every one of my sins. He has forgiven me. He has washed me clean. He has delivered me from my sins. He has freed me from all of my shame. Only grace can change us. Only the grace of God can change us. We have, to, we have to rely on God's grace to help us. Grace can look at you and tell you you're loved because God declared that you are worthy. All right, all right. Grace is the one that, that as, Peter, as Paul writes in, in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 that says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All right. 
He says, and John says it in 1 John 1 and 9, he says, if we confess our sins, that's what I said earlier, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. Yes. Hebrews 13 and 8 says that it says here that Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, that if he was willing to cleanse us over 2,000 years ago, guess what? He's willing to do the same for us today. And I like what Romans 8 and 1 says. It's very profound for this, this topic. For he says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Friends, if you feel condemned, it's because the devil is lying to you. Jesus said it specifically here through Paul. He says, there is now no condemnation. The, the, the price of sin has been paid. We stood guilty, but now we stand innocent because Jesus Christ paid it all. Friends, shame makes us hide from God. But God says to us, he says to us that we don't need to hide from any anymore. We need to just admit our sins, confess it, and then come back to him. Friends, that, that's if you think about the story of the prodigal son, that the prodigal son decided to go off. He messed up. But he made a critical decision in his life. He says, you know what? I'm going back to my father's house. I might not, I'm not going to go back prideful. I just want to be a servant in his house. He doesn't even have to claim me as his son. He doesn't even have to claim that he knows me. I just want to be in the house. And friends, when the Bible talks about it, it says that the son came back to the father. And the father saw the son in the far distance. The son was coming with shame, but the father was looking in love. And when he saw him, it said that the father ran out to him, embraced him, told his servants to bring the finest jacket, bring his ring. And he said, you are my son. You left my son and you came back my son. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how how much of my money you spent up, you are still my son because I love you. Friends, that is what God is saying to us. He has paid the price for our sins. We no longer have to live in shame. No matter what we've done, no matter what we've been through, no matter where we've gone, he's saying, you are still my son. You are still my daughter. I want to love you. I want to embrace you. I want to bring you back in.